terms of looking at the book of Acts. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, which is actually the book we've been looking at for our teen guys Sunday school class. And uh, so we've been going through a lot of that and uh, kind of chapter by chapter going through. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're just going to, um, it is Wednesday night Bible study and we are going to study the Bible. We are going to go through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, so first of all, a little bit of background. Uh, who, wh- who wrote the book of 2 Corinthians? Paul, correct. Okay. Um, uh, according to the scripture, we believe he visited Corinthians at least two times, maybe a third time. Uh, but the first time was the longest. And how long, if we've been studying the book of Acts, how long was Paul at Corinth the first time? No, close. Nobody? 18 months, a year and a half. So when he was there, there, he was there for a year and a half. I believe that's Acts chapter 18, maybe, um, something like that. But uh, two, yeah, a year and a half. And, uh, and then obviously he wrote 1 Corinthians and um, lots of different things addressed in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he addresses unity. He talked about there was divisions among them. And uh, he talked about the issue of immorality in their church, uh, both, both physical and spiritual. And, uh, and then he talked about spiritual gifts. We, we uh, in chapter 12, and then uh, goes, or chapter 13 and 14, 12, 13, and 14. 13 is the, the infamous love chapter of the Bible. And, uh, and then chapter 14 goes into talking a lot about tongues and all of that stuff. And so lots of, uh, lots of information that he gives and some, a lot of correction, honestly, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, kind of a follow-up to that, uh, addressing some things, uh, again, in follow-up to 1 Corinthians but a lot, of, a lot of good stuff for us to learn. So we're going to kind of break down the chapter a little bit. I think I have it uh, into six different, uh, seven maybe, seven different sections here that we are going to look at. And uh, so we're going to go just verse by verse and look at, uh, see what the Lord has for us today. And, and uh, if he speaks to you about something, uh, that, that would be a blessing. I know he's, he's helped me as I've studied through um, this book and this chapter as well. So Uh, Chapter 10, verse number one. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we watch, uh, I'm sorry, if we walked according to the flesh. Um, And verse numbers one and two, it kind of talks about his physical presence a little bit, talks a little bit later about that in verse number 10, verse 9 and 10 as well. But uh, I, I see here his confidence, his confidence um, in verses 1 and 2. The confidence that he had was in the word of God, not in himself. Um, it says, again, who in presence, he's talking about himself, I, Paul, who in presence am base among you, base, the lowest. The most, the, I'm, I'm not anybody impressive is what he's saying whether that be physically, ver- uh, vocally, uh, in terms of his, his preaching, all of that. It's, it's talked about throughout the, the different Pauline epistles as well, where he doesn't cl- consider himself to be a, an eloquent man, uh, an impressive in stature or anything like that. Um, and if you look to verse number 10, which we'll get to in just a little bit, uh, he's talking about some of his critics here. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. 
And so again, not a very impressive, you know, there's some people that you meet and they're just like, they, they are the life of the party and they can keep any conversation going and they can, you know, just it, it capture everybody's attention. And, and I am not that way, at, especially in conversation. Uh, I'm just tall. That's the one thing I have going for me. And pastor tears me down for that all the time. So I don't know what I have, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have humor. Okay. Um, but, uh, but again, Paul was not one of those people that, that would, you know, just, just by virtue of his presence, get everybody's attention. That, that wasn't who he was. And so we're talking about his confidence here. His confidence was not in his personality. His confidence was not in who he was. It was in the truth that he was presenting. It was in the word of God. Um, and so verse number, again, verse number one, he even says it in, in verse number one, I, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's not by his authority, not by his power, not by his, you know, my standing and my knowledge and all of this. It wasn't about what, this is who I am and therefore you need to listen to me. No, this is because of Christ. This is because this is the truth that I am presenting to you. The boldness in his letters, as he mentions, uh, being absent and bold towards you. And again, in verse 10, uh, his, his letters are weighty and powerful, strong and bold and confident in his writings, but in person, maybe not so much. But again, his confidence came from the word of God. He wasn't relying on his own knowledge or personality came from the word of God and the authority that was granted to him by the truth of the word of God. And so what we can get from this, the confidence that he had in presenting the truth and in sharing these truths, by the way, God was very, and it's very clear that God used him and revealed a lot of things to him through his writings and, uh, and personally through his preaching as well. Um, but, uh, but what we can grasp and, and glean from these first two verses, seeing his confidence was in truth, not in self, is that getting to know God and getting to know his word produces confidence and boldness. Amen. Getting to know the Lord. It's not about, well, let me, let me work on my personality and if I can, you know, if my presence and my persona and all that stuff. And if I just can get an audience, then I can, you know, then I can share something with them. No, let's focus on learning the truth that we need to be sharing first and share that, and, and once we have the confidence there, then God gives us the boldness because we know that what we are speaking is the truth. Amen. It produces confidence and boldness in God and in his word. We can have confidence in God and in his word. We learn how to trust. We learn that God is not gonna go back on any of his promises, that, that God's word is reliable, and, and Paul had learned that. Paul had learned and, and obviously had been on the other side of things, and, and God had to do a lot of work to change his mind uh, about those things. But, but uh, his, his um, desire to seek after God produced this confidence and this boldness. Um, confidence and boldness, not just in God and his word, but, but confidence in steps of faith. When we have to take steps of faith, realizing that, that okay, if I'm, if I'm trusting God, if I'm getting to know God, if I'm seeking him and, and following his word, I can have confidence that the decision that I'm making lines up with his word and lines up with his will. And uh, Paul obviously was, we can see that throughout, even throughout the book of Acts, as, as pastor's been teaching from on Wednesday nights, uh, being led of the spirit in his missionary journeys. Uh, being led by the Spirit to different places. No, don't go here. Yes, open the door over here. And, and very much taking steps of faith, not exactly knowing how everything was gonna happen and what was, how it was all gonna work out. But Paul had the confidence in God because he had gotten to know God through his word. And, and also confidence then in witnessing and, and boldness in sharing the gospel. I mentioned that just a bit ago. 
uh, in sharing the gospel, he was bold. And he talks about that in other places as well, um, that he, he is not going to back down from sharing the gospel. He's going to be confident and share the gospel till the day he dies. And, uh, and that, again, was because he knew uh, the truth and he got to know God and his word. And he knew that, that what he was saying was true. He believed that with all of his heart and uh, therefore produced the confidence that he needed. And so uh, I'm going to do something here that I, that I do with our, our teen guys uh, in our Sunday school class, which, let's see, that would be Logan and Ronnie and, nope, you're in Mr. Ron's class. Um, oh, I think the other ones are downstairs. Oh, Lincoln, here too. Um, at the end, whenever we're going through the, these chapters, after we get to the end of like a, a truth or a section, I always try to ask myself a question, kind of a challenge, if you will. So the question that I would ask myself from this part is, do I allow God and scripture to be the authority in my life? Or am I trusting myself? Am I relying on my own knowledge? Am I relying on my own wisdom, on my own um, whatever it is, my own relationships or personality or anything like that? My confidence should come from trusting in God, not myself. The Bible says we're not to lean to our own understanding. Um, but if we will trust in God, if we will seek God, if we will seek his word and study his word, we can have confidence in the truth. Uh, that we are trying to share. So verses one and two, we see his confidence there. Verses three and four. Verses three and four, we see that he was circumspect about spiritual warfare. He was circumspect. He was aware. He was knowledgeable. He was uh, looking out for it. Verses three and four. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warf warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so in verses three and four, he, he admonishes them to be circumspect, to be uh, in, in 1 Peter 5, uh, verse eight. We'll, we'll look at that verse in a second, but you could probably quote it. Be sober, be vigilant, be on the lookout, be aware of this. And so he's letting them know, yes, we, we, uh, we're not led by flesh uh, at the end of verse number two, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He's saying, okay, no, we're being led by the spirit, but we are still living in this body of flesh, not being led by our flesh, okay? Hopefully we can understand the difference there, okay? Yes, we are living physically in this flesh, but we are not being led by flesh, and our adversary is not, we're not warring after the flesh in verse number three. Verse number four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he was very clear, and Paul talks about it in other, other passages as well, in other books as well. Um, Ephesians especially, he talks about it, and pastors spend a lot of time talking about putting on the armor of God um, and, and the spiritual uh, armor that we need to be able to battle uh, th this spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare, and that's something that we need to be aware of, something that we need to be circumspect about. Our adversary is not a physical one. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. I mentioned that. Let's go to Ephesians. There's several um, verses that we could look at from this. Verse number 12. Again, Pastor referenced this a couple weeks ago. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, uh, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and then continues, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. And so Paul was not shy about addressing this issue of spiritual warfare. And yes, he's, he's addressing a people that have been maybe not imprisoned uh, or, or enslaved necessarily, but they were under the dominion of another nation. 
Okay, they were, they were under the control of another nation at this time, and so they knew a little bit about warfare. They knew a little bit about uh, having to deal with the struggle of going back and forth. And, and he said, okay, that's, that's not the fight that I'm talking about, though. Though we would love to be free, though we'd love to, you know, ha- be an independent nation again, there's, there's a more important battle that we are fighting, and that is the spiritual one. And, and we continue that fight today. We continue that fight today. Spiritual warfare is not something that is limited uh, to, uh, to back then. It's, not, it's something that happens today. Um, he was very purposeful in revealing the presence of spiritual warfare. It's not something we can, we can ignore or, or just think will go away. Or it's, it's, it's not a problem in my life. I haven't dealt with any demons or anything like that. I've, I've, not, you know, I've never experienced anything like that. But, but I'll tell you what, though, Satan is real. And, and he has an agenda, and it's to attack the church of Christ, and, and it is to attack the people of Christ, and it is to hinder the work of Christ any way that he can. And if we ignore that, and we live in ignorance, uh, we're, we're giving Satan an advantage. Luke, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2.11 uh, mentions that. If you go back to 2 Corinthians um, in, in verse number two, chapter two, verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We, we don't wanna give Satan any opportunity to get an advantage, to get a foothold in our lives. And if we, if we just feign ignorance or uh, live in ignorance, uh, consider, and, and thinking that, that oh, well, Satan has never, he's never been present in my life, or he has no influence in, in my world, you know, we're, we're allowing him then the opportunity to have that influence. And we need to make sure that we are, we are aware of the spiritual nature of our battle. Uh, Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and verse number 31, Christ also knew the spiritual warfare. He knew that, that it was a, a real thing, probably better than anybody. And he communicated that to Peter. Verse number 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Again, the, 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 it's very evident that uh, those that are in tune with God know that there is a spiritual fight going on. Christ himself, Paul, having specific revelations from the Lord, evidencing their... their uh, understanding of spiritual warfare, we have to understand that that we need to be prepared. And I'm not going to go back through. We uh, could talk about the whole armor of God, and I encourage you go back and listen to those if you didn't get a chance to to hear what Pastor talked about on those Wednesday nights when he was going through the armor of God. We need to be prepared spiritually. We prepare all other aspects of our life. You know, we we prepare for the day. We prepare for our career. We prepare for retirement. We prepare for kids coming. We prepare for whatever it is, but we need to prepare spiritually. We need to be prepared to fight spiritually, and that may not, that's not a physical fight. That is a, that is a mental fight that is in our mind is where the majority of that takes place. And so we see Paul recommends and admonishes them to be circumspect about spiritual warfare. And so my question that I ask myself there is, do I walk circumspectly? Or <laughs> do I bury my head in the sand and just think, well, nothing's happened yet. I haven't had any significant issues with that type of thing, so I'm good. I'm just gonna keep living my life. That's not the way to live. Um, 
I mentioned 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant uh, because of our adversary. And then we could look at um, Ephesians 5, 15. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but Ephesians 5, 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We're supposed to be, and, and that's not just talking about spiritual warfare, but other things as well, but we're supposed to be aware and, 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 um, and thoughtful of, of what is happening and, and then uh, preparing for those things. So, uh, confidence in truth, not in self, in verses one and two. Circumspect about spiritual warfare in verses three and four. We have a little bit of overlap here because then in verse, verses four through six, he continues on that thought a little bit about spiritual warfare, but more so bringing it into, as I mentioned, into our minds. And then in verse five, verses four, five, and six, he talks about casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Again, we'll read verse four again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So you see, casting down imaginations, it all starts in our mind. Our mind is vital when it comes to our spiritual life. It's not something that, as I mentioned with, with the acknowledgement of spiritual warfare, it's not just something that we can just let go and, and just you know, go day by day without being intentional or purposeful about it. It has to be something that we are thoughtful about in taking charge of our mind, the battle for your mind. If we do not fight for it, it will be taken over by those that would love to have control of it. And, and we, so we need to be very intentional about it. We need to be very purposeful in taking control of our mind. So it must be controlled by the right thing. It must be controlled by the spirit. We must let the spirit be the one that, that leads and guides our mind, our thoughts. And so first of all, what are we referring to? What, what the, the, uh, the things that we're referring to, let's look at four different things that it talks about here in uh, verses four, four and five especially. Strongholds, imaginations, every high thing, that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and then th every thought. Okay, so it talks about four different things there. So what are we referring to in this battle for the mind? What are we supposed to take control of? Or what are we supposed to have an influence on and allow the spirit to have control of? First of all, I mentioned strongholds in verse number four. Um, strongholds. Well, strongholds are, are things, if, again, if you think about, the first thing that comes to my mind is like a castle. Okay, when I think stronghold, I think of like a castle or end with a tower and something that it is a place where you are going to hold and be strong. Okay, uh, again, I'm talking about warfare here. Okay, it, it, people where you, where you can have a, a place where you can go to that, that is safe, a place that, is, that has been built up over time, a place that has been built to endure, a, a thing that has been built to last. Often that's a good thing, but in this case, it's referring to a negative thing. It's referring to a stronghold in our mind, a stronghold in our life that is a negative one, that is a sinful one often. Uh, things, sinful, sinful actions that we've gotten used to, a, a habit, uh, and I don't want to call it a habit, a sin, okay? No, it's not a habit, it's a sin, okay? Um, Got to get away from these, these changing terminologies, and, and the world likes to change the terminology to make it sound not as bad. They, they like to change things that, that t so it sounds so innocuous and just different, but it's sin is what it is. It's sin, and we need to call it that and stop being scared of who's gonna get mad or who's gonna get offended. It is sin, the Bible calls it sin. In fact, some of the cases it calls it abominations, and we need to get back to calling it that. It is, so these strongholds that we're talking about, sorry, uh, these strongholds that we're talking about, 
often is sin in our own lives that we have allowed to take hold in our hearts and in our minds and we've allowed it to take root and to build up over time, something that has been built up and has is, is lasted far longer than it should have and needs to be pulled down, needs to be taken down in our hearts and in our minds. In verse number four, again, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Sin, sinful actions, things that we have gotten used to or have excused or, or have uh, you know, ignored again or have, made, have, have downplayed, whatever it is. Those things need to be pulled down. Uh, or sinful mindsets that go against scripture. Uh, things, things that uh, are often produced by society. And as I mentioned, the changing of terminology is one of those things. Uh, and, and the desire to not be offensive. And, uh, and, and all, all, and we're not gonna belabor the point there. You, we, we all live in the same world. We know uh, the things that, that society has tried to push and change and, and uh, you know, change the terminology of. Um, but just mindsets, even, even that, has, that has invaded Christians' minds and, and our perspective has been far too influenced by our society. Our, our, our mindset and our, our outlook on things has been influenced by society far too much and we need to get back to a biblical perspective instead of a societal perspective. But these strongholds, these things that have built up over time that, that maybe little bit by little bit, as I mentioned, those mindsets that kind of invade just a little bit at a time and you start hearing things and, and it's more and more popular in the world and it starts to become something that you're more accepting of. And that's, that's not, those are things, again, the strongholds that have taken hold in our hearts and in, uh, in our minds. Then it talks about imaginations. Imagination, when you think of imagination, think of things that aren't real. You know, all that, that kid has an active imagination and they're out there, and sometimes that's a good thing and that's great, okay? They go out there and they can, you know, uh, entertain themselves for hours and that's awesome, okay? But in this case, again, we're talking about, we're talking about the negative things here. We're talking about um, things that aren't real. Again, it, uh, we, and, and I'm not gonna get too uh, detailed in, in depth with this, but casting down imaginations, the imagination of things that aren't real, whether that be, whether that be sin, again, in our own minds, um, or whether that be selfishness, um, and, or um, exaggeration of situations where we, where we allow um, our own fear to take over in our minds. And those imaginations of what could happen and what could be going on and what, what, what is that person thinking about me and, and all of these things that, that really just boils down to selfishness and pride because those thoughts are about ourselves. Those thoughts are about our, our uh, view of ourselves or other people's view of ourselves or our sinful desires or whatever it is, our imaginations, the things that aren't real. Again, those are things that need to be gotten rid of from our hearts and from our minds. So we're talking about this spiritual warfare, this, this battle for our mind in these verses here. And then it talks about high things in verse, uh, again, in verse five, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Uh, these are just things that are anti-God, anti-Bible, social mindsets, or spiritual revelations, which we have seen people, oh, I've learned something new from the word of God and it has caused me to go against the word of God, which does not ever make sense to me. I don't know how that can happen. But these things that, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and sometimes, again, that can just be selfishness. That can just be a personal mindset where I am more important than the things of God. My, my will is more important than God's will. That is a high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And, and that's something that needs to be taken down. And then we see just a general every thought in verse number five as well. Uh, what we allow our mind to dwell on. 
what we allow, allow our mind to dwell on, uh, our desires, our innermost self, who we truly are, uh, our thought life is important. So what do we need to do then in order to have, in order to, the, in order to win the battle of our mind? We talk about all these different things here, and I know I'm taking a lot of time. This is a, this is a big uh, a focus for me. It's something that, that um, I, I think is very important for all of us, because we, if we can win the battle in our mind, and, and we have the Spirit's help with that, it makes the action, the follow-through of that, the outward appearance of that, much easier. So how do we do that? What must we do? Well, we see a couple things in, in verses 4 and 5. The pulling down of strongholds and then casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So first of all, we need to identify what is wrong. We have to identify the wrong mindsets. We have to identify the sin in our hearts and in our lives. It has to be something that we're, not, I'm not talking about proclaiming it to everyone around, it, around us, but I'm talking about having that mindset of allowing Christ and allowing him to, to come in and to uh, Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, and David had that heart where I want you to know, if, if there's something wrong in my heart and in my mind, tell me about it. Let me know so that I can get it right. And, and we, we think, I, I, because it's not outward, we think we've got everybody fooled. And we might, but we don't have God fooled. And, and we don't, honestly, and, and though he can't read your mind, you don't really have Satan fooled either. He knows, he, he sees your actions, uh, he, he, he's not all-knowing, I know that, okay, and he's not all-present, all but he's very observant. He's very observant. And, and I believe if we are not intentional and purposeful about winning the battle for our mind, Satan will be. Whether, whether individually or as a whole, through society and through, through media and all of that stuff, Satan, has he, he will go big picture, broad spectrum. Yeah, we're so, we're, yes, we need to be worried and focused on the little things and the individual and the, you know, the things that happen in our own minds, but, uh, but Satan is trying to go uh, across the board here with it. So identify the wrong sinful mindsets and attitudes and combat them with scripture and with action with scripture and with action, it's not just enough for us to say, I know that that's wrong. I know that that's something that I shouldn't have in my life. That's the first step, that's good. Identifying that we have an issue, identifying that there's a sin that we need to get rid of, but then there needs to be, okay, maybe why is this wrong? Why is it important that I get rid of this? And that comes through scripture. And then action to get rid of it. And this is not, this is not uh, we're not gonna get into all of that tonight. Uh, that's maybe a different message that we could get into um, about getting victory over sin and, and the, those uh, wrong mindsets and stuff like that. But, um, but it takes action. It takes action for us to overcome that. Um, then if we, look at, if we look at the end of verse number five, I love this phrase, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So there's the, the, the downside that, or the negative version, the pulling down, the casting down. And then this, and you may not think this is a positive thing, but, but bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Taking captive, taking something captive, that's not an unfamiliar topic, especially in the Bible, okay? There, especially in the Old Testament, that was a massive, uh, there's a lot of that in the Old Testament. Taking captive and, and enslaving other people. Now, I'm not for enslaving other people. I am, however, for 
taking our thoughts captive. So what does, that, what does that mean, though? It means to take control of something and to force it to do what you want it to do. So if we are to take our thoughts captive, we are going to take control of our thought life and have our thought life be the thought life that is pleasing to Christ, the one that we need it to be. We have to be intentional and purposeful about our thought life, not letting our mind run wild and go down, whether it be sinful thoughts or whether it just be uh, ignorant thoughts or, or selfish or, or negative or whatever it is, and just allowing our minds to run wild. We cannot do that. We have to take our thoughts captive. This is not a, you know, a self-help thing, although I think that phrase kind of gets maligned a little bit too much because we are supposed to be helping ourselves and growing. That's growth, Okay. <laughs> But this is spiritual help here. We have to be purposeful and intentional in our thought life, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So taking control of something and making it do what we want it to do, taking our thoughts captive, taking control of our thoughts and bringing them to a point where they're pointing to obedience to Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal of our thought life is to get my thoughts on that, on that line, on that train of thought right there, obedience to Christ. Letting our mind run wild is never beneficial, whether emotionally or spiritually, either one, it's never gonna be beneficial. The goal is obedience to Christ, training my mind to follow him and to obey his word. So the question there, I know I spent a lot of time on that one. Um, am I purposeful in my thoughts? Am I purposeful in my thoughts? Am I intentional? Do, do I have a goal? Or am I just going day by day and letting what happens happen? That's not a good way to live life, especially spiritually. Again, Satan is very purposeful and intentional. And if we are not, he will get an advantage. We need to take it serious. Paul understood that and was trying to communicate that to the Corinthians. Then we see in verses seven and eight, the cultivation of the church. The cultivation of the church, verse seven. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so we are, are we Christ? For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Um, he said, I, I'm not here to destroy you. I'm not here to lord over you. I'm not here to flaunt my authority. I'm not here to do that. That's not what God put me in this position to do. He said in verse number eight, which the Lord, our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, not for your destruction. He said, my, my purpose is to help you grow. That's my goal. That's my purpose is to help you grow. And God, that's why God gives us people in our lives. That's why God gives us leaders. That's why God gives us a pastor. That's why God gives us parents and, and Sunday school teachers and youth pastors and all these different influences that we can have. There's, they're there with the purpose of helping us grow. Now, obviously, all of those positions that I just mentioned are filled by human beings, sinful human beings. So unfortunately, the leadership sometimes fails. I'll give you that, absolutely, yep. You know what, but so do you. And we need, to be, we need to give grace as much as we want to be given grace. But God gives leaders for our edification. It talks about that um, in, uh, I just lost the passage and I didn't write it down and I should have. Um, gave some apostles and some pastors and some uh, pastors and teachers for the edification. And, and I'm, I'm missing the passage and I forgot to write it down. You guys can look it up later. It's awesome. It's a good verse. Um, 
But he gave, them, he gave those people to us for our edification, for our growth, for our benefit. The edification, obviously, again, means to, means to help to grow, to build up, to encourage. Sometimes that edification comes through tender love and care and sweet words and encouragement and you can do it. And you see that sometimes through Paul's epistles and his letters, but sometimes that edification comes through harsher correction. Sometimes that, that edification takes on a different uh, uh, entity and kind of, uh, you know, we need to get th some things right. And that's a little bit more the tone of 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and Paul, again, understood that. Uh, all of that, however, has the goal of growth. You can think of that, by the way, as the difference of watering and feeding a plant versus pruning a plant. One is enjoyable, and yes, water and food and grow and helps you to grow, absolutely, but there's also some necessary pruning that needs to take place in order for that plant to thrive. And that's how we are as well in our Christian lives. Yes, we need the water, we need the food, but sometimes we need that pruning as well and that edification, um, you know, installing good habits versus getting rid of bad ones. Uh, you know, sometimes one can be easy and sometimes one can be difficult. Uh, and, and sticking to it is hard, but, but that, that edification, that growth needs to take place. And Paul here again, he says, our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. His goal was never to tear others down. He never had that purpose. And that, that should not ever be the, the purpose of any leader as well, to tear others down. We are here for edification. And God forbid that I should ever let that become a mindset of mine where I do something or say something with the intent to tear someone down. I, I maybe have, unfortunately, and, and God forgive me if I have. Um, but again, the question, so the question I ask myself at the end of this little section here, am I an edifier or a destroyer? Am I one that builds up? Am I one that encourage, encourages? Am I one that helps to others to grow? Or am I one that is destructive and tearing others down with my words or with my mindsets? Then we move on to verses um, 10 and 11 here. Uh, we've already mentioned verse number 10, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, uh, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that, such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. And so he's talking here in verses 10 and 11 about consistency in behavior. He's talking, I'm, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. He, he's saying, I say one thing in my letters and I act the same way when I'm there with you. I tell you one thing here when I'm writing to you and then I'm gonna do that exact thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna model that behavior. I'm gonna try to practice what I preach. He said, you can ask anybody. You can, they they come, come at us with this criticism here about how you know, we're just trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to tear you, or you're, you're bold in your words, but you're weak in your presence. He said, my actions are the same regardless. My attitude is the same regardless. I'm gonna do right no matter where I am. Truth is the same, whether spoken in person or in written word, and our actions should be the same no matter where we are, and our actions should be the same whether we're talking about them or actually performing them. And the old adage that is so incorrect, and everybody would agree that it is incorrect, do what I say, not what I do, not at all the way a Christian should live. And Paul understood that, and said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna write something to you and I'm gonna do my best through the help of the Lord to act that exact same way when I'm with you. And that's how we should be. 
consistent, real. Not putting on a show when we come to church and then going home to our real selves and, and you know, with a different attitude, a different mindset, a different vocabulary, uh, a, a different uh, uh, whatever it is. I don't know what, what you struggle with, but, but whenever we see that hypocrisy, hypocrisy always produces doubters. It always produces skeptics. It always produces, it, it's, it's when it becomes evident that there is hypocrisy happening, whatever the person is trying to proclaim falls by the wayside. Whether, whether that's some, uh, you know, some health guru who is found to be, to be doing illegal drugs, hypocrisy. Well, their system is, is trash now and nobody's going to buy it. Makes sense. They were, they were peddling something that they themselves didn't adhere to. So why, should, why do we think it's going to be different when we as Christians, we say and we proclaim and we put on this show of, well, this is what the Bible says and this is what I believe and this is what I am at church, and then we go and live a different life in secret. Why do we think that people should still believe the Bible if we ourselves don't adhere to it? If we ourselves don't believe it enough to follow through and obey it and do what the Bible says, why would we think that we're going to be creating and, and drawing disciples to Christ if we don't live what the Bible teaches? We can't expect that. So Paul here, very, very clearly saying, I'm going to do, let's read verse number 11 again. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, what we write about, such will we be also indeed when we are present. The things that I write to you, I'm going to follow through on them. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to, I'm going to practice what I preach. So am I the same wherever I go? Do I talk the same way? Do I act the same way? Do I have the same mindset? Do I treat people right wherever I go? Do I practice what I preach? Verses 12 through 13. Verses 12 through 13. We've got two more sections here. Verses 12 through 13, we see comparison is foolish. Comparison is foolish. Verse number 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Comparison. Comparison kills. It, it's so harmful. It's so detrimental. Comparison kills. Because it produces either pride or jealousy. Whenever we compare, it produces one of the two things. It produces pride because we can always find someone that we are better than or that we think that we're better than. I can always find someone that I can do better than this area. I'm doing better than they are, so I'm good. And that pride, when we compare, it brings pride. Or jealousy, because we, we can always find someone who's doing better than us. We can always find, well, and I wish I had that. I wish I could aspire to that. I wish I could do that. I wish I had what they have. Comparison is a killer. And spiritually, our comparison really should only be to two people. And I'm, I'm saying, you're saying we shouldn't compare. But um, in this sense, hopefully you understand what I'm talking about here. Two people we should compare ourselves to, and that's God, under, with the understanding that we will never measure up. We fall short of the glory of God because that comparison is necessary for us to understand our need for a savior. We need, we need that comparison, but that's, again, once we get there, that's done. We understand our need for a savior. We'll never measure up. We, we uh, accept salvation, 
but then we move on. And then from there, the only other person we should compare ourselves to is ourselves. And what I'm talking about there is in terms of, am I growing? Am I becoming more like Christ? Now, I look back at, on what I was. Have I grown from there? Have I, have I gotten to become closer to Christ? H have I grown in my walk with him? Have I grown in my service for him and in my love for others and for him? And uh, we, should, we should be growing from where we were. Comparison, even the good kind, even those type of things that I just mentioned, it, it really just makes it about ourselves, though. I wish I had, or I'm glad I'm not like. That's about us. It's a, it's a prideful thing. Comparison is always about pride. It's always about us. Our purpose is to please God and to reach people. It's not to lift ourselves up. It's not to make ourselves look good or look better than others. Our goal is to please God and to reach people. And Paul understood that again in verse number 13. Uh, we will not boast ourselves, uh, I'm sorry, boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even you. Again, even through this, his goal was to reach them. His goal was to be a blessing to them. His goal was to help them. It wasn't about him, well, let me show you how much more I know about spiritual things than you do. No, it's like, let me, let me God, God has given me a special revelation. Let me share that with you because I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it'll help you. I think it would be an encouragement to you. So, question from this section, do I care more about what man thinks or about what God thinks? Do I, do I care more about all the people around me? And not, not in a spiritual way, not I love them and I want them to do well and I want them to be reached for Christ, or am I more concerned about my image before man or my image before God, I guess would be a better way of asking that. Am I concerned about what people think of me or what God thinks of me? Let me see in the last section, verses 14 through 18, that the credit belongs to God. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in the preaching of the gospel, in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we should be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. The credit belongs to God. And so does the glory and the honor and the praise. And Paul was saying, you know what? I've, we have a lot of overlap. I've started churches and people have come in and started pastoring. And then I come back and I visit, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not here to step on toes. He's like, I'm not here to come and say, hey, I started this church and you need to honor me and I deserve the credit for this. And that, that wasn't Paul's mindset. He said, no, if, if there's people being helped, glory to God. If there's people being saved and, people, and the gospel's going out, praise the Lord. He's the one that gets the credit. He's the, I'm not trying to take the credit from anybody. We need to praise God for his blessings and the growth that happens in our lives. He's the one that gets the credit for that. Growth that happens in my life is because of God. Any blessings that come, every good and every perfect gift coming from above. Nothing that I have that is good comes from myself. Everything in my life that is good comes from God. But we also need to praise God for the blessings in other people's lives. We need to praise God for the growth and the victories in the lives of others. It's so, and, and um, this is a different, we talked about this, uh, I think the last or second to last week that we had Wednesday night teen church a couple months ago. Um, but the comparison mindset is not just limited to an individual thing. 
Um, it, it also happens on a church-wide level, like comparing church to church, and that's not something that we should be doing. If the church, if a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church down the street has an amazing day where people get saved, I'm gonna praise the Lord for it. If the gospel's being preached and the Lord's being glorified, and they're, they're preaching the Bible, I'm gonna praise the Lord for it. Why, I'm not gonna get into that. I could get, <laughs> we need to praise the Lord when he is, when he is being lifted up. I'll leave it at that. Not, and Paul's saying, I'm not trying to take the credit for anything that I had nothing to do with. I, I don't have to, you know, there's some people that have to kind of insert themselves into every situation and they have to be a part of every situation that is happening at all times and they need to be in the know about every little detail of everybody's lives um, that is going on and, and maybe so they can be an influence in that area, maybe under the guise of I wanna help and I wanna pray and all that stuff. Um, but really, you know, we, we don't have to do that. That, that's not, that shouldn't be our goal. I'm, I am not, you know, if there's something successful that happens, I don't have to go and, oh, oh, let me come over here and let me, you know, join myself to them so I can join in the glory and the praise, even though I had nothing to do with the success that just took place. You know what? Sometimes I can just sit back and say, hey, you know what? That was awesome. I'm glad God used that. I'm glad there was a success that took place. I don't have to go and try to claim some of the glory for myself. I don't have to do that. Because it's not my glory, it's not even their glory anyways, it's his. It belongs to God. Other successes should make me happy, not jealous. It's ultimately God that gives the increase in my life or others anyway. So, and it's his work that produces those successes. So if I try to take credit, I'm trying to take credit for the work of God. That's not, that doesn't even make sense. Um, so do I try to take credit for God's work? I hope not. I hope I don't try to take credit and, and try to be, insert myself into a position of, of praise or glorying. That, that's not, that's not uh, shouldn't be my goal and definitely wasn't Paul's. So I don't know what, what applies to you from this. This is just, again, kind of walking through this chapter, whether it's the, he had confidence in the word of God, in the truth of God's word, not in himself. Uh, he was circumspect about spiritual warfare. He understood the importance of it. He, started, he talked about casting down imaginations, understanding the importance of winning the battle in our mind. We spent a lot of time there. Talk about the cultivation of the church. Are we an edifier or a destroyer? Talk about consistency in our behavior, not being hypocritical, but being the same wherever we are, praising the Lord and worshiping him and, and witnessing for him wherever we are. The foolishness of comparison, whether individual or corporate, but then that the credit belongs to God. It's all because of him anyways. He gets the glory. He deserves all of our praise. I don't know what part of it spoke to you, if any, um, but uh, it was a challenge to me studying through this again and allowing the Lord to speak to me. I know there's things that I need to work on from, from, these, uh, from these verses and things that I need to be more intentional about and be more purposeful about in my own life. And I hope that we can all take something uh, from this passage and, uh, and walk away maybe a little bit better, a little bit changed from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word.